to the Injured List Podcast, your source for all sports injury topics. For the weekend warrior to the sports fantasy guru, we keep you in the action and out of the injured list. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List Podcast, Brian Scott. season that has certainly gotten off to an awful start the sight of Stanton collapsing after he goes across the bag at first just heaps even more you could see him about two-thirds up the line he was going hard to try to beat that little tapper in front of the plate Kochman with a hamstring Mahoney with a hamstring. And Stanton grabbing the back of that leg. Watch him about two-thirds of the way up. Stanton finally finds his groove over this past week. The home runs start to come, and down he goes. Hey, look at Cooper and Henri galloping down the center of the field. Bellucci plays it forward. It's too strong. It was a slip from Thierry Henri in the end. He's grabbing the back of his leg. Marufo has halted proceedings. Well, this would be a phenomenal shame. Thierry Henry has scored his ninth goal of the season today. From Hans Bacher, right when he went down, looked over to Pecky. He's got the note card out and just started shaking his head right off to my right. And here's a look at it on a full sprint. And he makes a little move right here. And that's when it goes. You can see he makes that cut and feels it on his right hamstring, immediately goes to grab that right hamstring. And it does not look good for the New York Red Bulls right now. Cavaya with a nice cut, but can't get it to drop. Richardson is right there, trying to tap it up and in. And once again, they go inside. Jones can't get it to go. And here comes Chris Paul, and Olenek is right on his tail, and Paul loses the ball, holding onto his leg, and that hamstring has just been pulled again. And they finally get it down. Richardson hobbling to the sideline and immediately sitting down with Chris Paul. That is not a good sign. Held that leg. Miami goes the other way. Tucker just picked up a foul. We'll step aside and update here from Miami after this on TNT. Moments ago, watch Chris Paul on his left hamstring. Wow. And he went straight to the locker room. Did not pause. And, you know, and I talked, like I said, talked to him before the game. He, was, he felt like he was starting to turn a corner with that hammy. And Green come to the side, as you said. It's, it's amazing just how hard he works and our cameras pick it up. He has bolted from the center of the ground, uh, other side of the center of the ground to get there. And that's when he just goes, well, that's tightened. That's knotted up on me. Jogs off. So it doesn't appear like it's a tear. If you get a tear, it's like you've been shot yeah. in the back of the, the hammy. And, and even then, Nick, we both had hammies. And we, you both sort of go, you feel it at some sense. Is it really that bad? Should I try it one more time? Is it just a cramp? Charger fans, Austin Eckler 
injured on this play, running against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as he's going out of bounds. You can see he goes down and then grabs at the back of his left leg there. They have brought the cart out for Austin Eckler. Well, the, the athletic trainers... Hamstring muscle tears. We've seen a lot of them this season in the NFL. It has taken down some big names already this year, such as Tampa Bay's Mike Evans, Detroit Lions' Kenny Galladay, Philadelphia Eagles' Miles Sanders, and the Atlanta Falcons' Julio Jones, to name a few. According to injury data collected from the NCAA databases, the three highest-risk sports for hamstring injuries are American football, followed by men's and women's soccer. Risk of injury during competition and preseason training was almost twice as high compared to general practices. A study done in Europe looking at elite-level soccer players found that hamstring injuries occurred in competition at nine times higher frequency when compared to practices. The average time lost to competition amongst these athletes was an average of 17 days. Looking at just a few studies, it becomes very clear just how significant an injury hamstring strains are. The hamstrings are the muscles located on the back of your thigh. They originate up in the hip and extend on the, to the back of the knee where they cross the knee joint. They're responsible for specific motions of the knee joint and hip joint, primarily knee flexion and hip extension. They also have some other less primary roles in rotation at the hip as well. Mechanically speaking, their most important function is to help decelerate your body while walking, running, and when looking at sport, they are vital to make acute changes in direction during high-speed movements. The act of deceleration occurs when the muscle contracts eccentrically, which means that as the muscle is lengthening or being stretched, it is maintaining a contraction and generating force. This action occurs at very high speeds and over a very short period of time, where there are tremendous amount of forces acting on the muscle tissue. Weakness in the hamstring group can predispose it to injury, most commonly during this type of contraction. Hamstring strains are typically graded based on severity, with the mild grade one strains involving some degree of stretching and likely microscopic tearing that may cause pain swelling, but no significant disruption in the integrity of the muscle fibers and minimal to no loss of strength. Grade two strains involve some degree of partial tearing within the muscle and or tendon fibers. There is usually significant pain, swelling, possibly bruising, and some degree of strength loss. Grade three, the most severe, involve near if not complete tearing of the muscle and or tendon fibers with severe pain, debilitation, large amounts of bruising due to hematoma formation, and in some cases, avulsion of bony attachment sites of the tendon. There have been some general risk factors identified which may predispose athletes or individuals to hamstring injury. These can be broken down into those factors that are modifiable and those that are not. Modifiable risk factors can be influenced and reduced or even eliminated through proper education, training, and changes in current practices. These factors are inadequate warm-ups, increased training volume, muscle fatigue, decreased hamstring and ankle flexibility, hamstring weaknesses, sometimes due to muscle imbalance in other muscles of the thigh and, and other muscles in the extremity, postural positions that are indicative of pelvic or core muscle weaknesses, poor biomechanics, and in some cases, changing in coaching staff that creates change in practice or training regimens. Those factors that are not modifiable include previous hamstring or lower extremity injury, previous ankle sprain, and older age. The most common and frequently noted risk factor for a hamstring injury is a history of prior injury. Studies that have examined elite level players in Australian rules football have shown that those with a history of a prior hamstring strain are almost two to six times more likely 
to sustain a recurrent strain, with most re-injuries occurring within two months after return to sport. Some studies showed almost a three times more likely chance of re-injury for almost one year in those athletes with previous injury when compared to those with no prior injury. Weakness in the muscle group was the defining factor that led to these high re-injury rates. There has long been ongoing debate about whether the formation of scar tissue can lead to changes in the muscle tissue, thus leading to re-injury, or if muscle weakness was the factor to blame. Initial treatment used to focus more on maintaining flexibility and elasticity of the muscle through stretching, but as we will learn later in the podcast, strengthening the muscle has now been the more popular approach. Acute management of hamstring injuries centers around removal from activity, pain control through rest, ice, compression, and other modalities. Over-the-counter analgesics for some might be helpful as well. However, there is no clinical evidence to support its ability to help or hinder recovery. Injection therapies have not been shown to prove any significant benefit with muscle or muscular tendinous injury that are acute, and so we will not get into that. Diagnostic imaging is often done on professional athletes with significant injury when there is concern for possible grade 3 tearing, which may require more invasive management. Ultrasound and MRI are the two more common imaging studies done with ultrasound being cheap, quick, and more readily available. But this is dependent on operator experience and the clinician's interpretation. MRI tends to be more detailed when identifying the exact location and severity. Physical therapy has been used for many years to treat hamstring injuries at all levels of athletics, ranging from the recreational athlete up to the elite level professional. Those programs that have been shown to be most successful incorporate several key elements into their design and implementation. Those elements are multiplanar movements, for example, not just running in a straight line, exercise to enhance trunk stability and proprioception agility training, and eccentric hamstring strengthening exercises. Now, I want to introduce our guest for this episode, who will discuss in more detail the rehabilitation involved for hamstring injuries. His name is Derek Kelly. He is a certified and licensed physical therapist for the last nine years. Originally, he is from Ireland, where he worked predominantly with elite-level athletes in the top-tier level Ireland Athletic Associations. He also spent some time working in one of Europe's premier sports surgery clinics prior to moving to the United States seven years ago. While in Europe, he helped run an elite athlete profiling screening campaign that focused on reducing injuries through recognition, education, and prevention. Since moving to the States, he has been involved in administrative duties for several outpatient clinics and currently runs an occupational rehabilitation clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and when we return, we'll be joined by Derek. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Sean Colas with the Percantile and Creamery. We are the premier coffee, ice cream, and dessert bar in the Charlotte metro area. We're thrilling people with our amazing interior design, our incredible customer service, and the quality of our offerings. We have a beautifully designed 1920s mercantile-themed monochromatic throwback where people feel excited by their surroundings and blown away by their treats. We're great for business meetings, families, couples, and you. Ask about our room rentals for meetings, events, or parties. We're nestled next to the Concord Mills Mall behind Verizon and in the same building as McAllister's in Concord, North Carolina. If you're in the area and you're listening to this right now, get in your car, drive over to the Percantile, Mention that you heard us on Brian Scott's amazing Injuryless Podcast 2020 and receive 25% off your purchase. 
Hey guys, are you looking to avoid injury when it comes to your finances? Talk to a professional who can help. Whether you are looking to get your financial house in order or simply looking for that second opinion, visit TrustTreeFinancial.com and schedule your free virtual consultation. Once again, that's TrustTreeFinancial.com. Derek Kelly joining us now in the podcast episode. He is a certified licensed physical therapist, has been doing so for a number of years, uh, worked back in Ireland with uh, quite a bit of professional teams and athletes, uh, as well as in Europe, and now made his way over here to the States to uh, join uh, me as a guest on my show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking a little bit about uh, hamstring injuries. It's been a pretty big topic this year in American football. And uh, we had kind of did a little brief history of hamstring injuries earlier. And a lot of the actual literature not only mentions American football as uh, one of the more prominent sports where you see this type of injury, but also soccer, as well as uh, Australian rules football, rugby, uh, I guess you could kind of throw Gaelic football into that mix as well. It's kind of a cross between the sports. So, um, Derek, in your experience, getting back on the field from a hamstring injury seems to be one of the biggest challenges with athletes dealing with this. How do you approach the athlete with a hamstring injury when you're looking at the initial time, uh, the in- initial interaction from when they get hurt and they see you to kind of how you get get them back on the field? Okay, well, that's a very that's a very loaded question, but uh, we so well. I mean, take it take it through. Uh, you know, take it from start to finish. How you kind of approach it, th- those athletes, and you know, we can kind of I'll interject, and then we can go from there. Um, so I guess the first thing is the first thing that we deal with as a physical therapist is going to be the the inevitable question of like how long is this going to take? So I pretty much start like I find it's important at that point to have some expectation setting with an athlete to say, look, this is going to be a process first and foremost. And it's not about weeks or months or hours or days. It's going to be based on what can you do? So instead of saying this is going to take four to six weeks, which for a typical hamstring strain, that is what you're going to normally look at. I would say to them, look, when are you going to be able to run it? 50%. 50%. When are you going to be able to, you know, walk on this thing before it's painful or when it's not painful? When are you going to be able to start squatting, lunging? When are you going to be able to load the hamstring in a vulnerable position? It's more to get the athlete immediately thinking, right, I need to think about function here and not in days, weeks, and months. So that's definitely the first place to start. Yeah, so there's, a, I guess, a, lot, a large psychological component to that too when you're talking about the approach, um, you know, your mindset coming into your rehab is certainly going to hamper your, or perhaps enhance your ability to get back on the field. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, and the, the thing about, I, I guess you, you got to break this down into, I mean, we, I've, like you, like you said in the intro, I've dealt with professional level athletes, I've dealt with weekend warriors, people who want to run marathons in less than three hours. And, you know, people that just want to be able to go to the gym, I think one of the common areas for everyday people is that they come in immediately into their first consultation and they'll say, oh, I've been stretching it, I've been stretching it, I've been stretching it. And, you know, I kind of immediately stop them at that point and, and, and 
tell them what's happened. So, I mean, if you're if you're talking about a hamstring strain, a hamstring pull, a hamstring tear, they pretty much all mean the same thing in my book because you have gone and frayed or torn a certain amount of fibers of your hamstring, right? So I always tell people when they tell me they're stretching, stretching, that at that point you want to say, well, hold off on stretching because you want to, you're pulling on something that's already been pulled. So the, the first place I always start with people is to get some paramedic type stuff going. So what are we doing to start to get the hamstring loosened out? Because if it's a significant tear, there will have been some inflammation, some bleeding in that area of the hamstring. So what we want to do is want to use some sort of pain relief uh, or and or use some sort of manual therapy just to kind of get the tissue primed in order to allow the athlete to start moving it again. So whether that comes in the form of massage or in the form of dry needling or acupuncture, that's probably one of the first places that your NFL player is going to start. They're going to go in, they're going to be on the treatment table, and they're going to have somebody physically work on their hamstring. And the number one thing we're looking for there is blood flow can we get nutrients into that muscle pretty quickly? So that's kind of the first place we start is to say, look, stop pulling on something that's already pulled and let's kind of start to help this thing heal a little. Yeah, so um, some of what you mentioned kind of brings us to some of the risk factors that may predispose people to injury in the first place. And that's part of what your probably initial evaluation would be, correct? Um, is to kind of look at those risk factors that are both modifiable, so things like weakness or, uh, you know, not being inflexible, um, strength, uh, things like that. Um, And then there's the other risk factors that are sort of non-modifiable, things that you can't really control so much. So when you take a look at that individual, where do you focus first? Do you focus more on the modifiable risk factors do you focus more on just getting that pain under control and then kind of bridging from there what's your initial take on that oh absolutely so i mean this kind of this brings up a topic of that's you know quite quite i guess controversial or topical in in the year that we're in and that the players haven't had a preseason so what you would hope and particularly if we're talking about the nfl is what you would hope is that their athletic trainers their medical staff are aware of where they're where they may have asymmetries or weaknesses like you talked about in the preseason. Um, you'd be curious as to how much of that they got done this year in terms of the environment of this being COVID-19 year, shortened season, shortened preseason, and no preseason games. So hopefully, um, if you're talking about an NFL athlete, these guys have gone through a battery of tests preseason, like some type of an athlete profiling program, which, you know, is going to target areas where you think that someone might be vulnerable to an injury as the season goes on. One of the big things that you mentioned there is that we look for asymmetries, okay? Is left the same as the right? So that's kind of the first place I would start in an evaluation for somebody walking in off the street as well. If we're going to look to see, well, let me see what your flexibility is like here around the hip. Um, And first and foremost, what does the left look like compared to the right? We know from decent amount of research that your kind of biggest predictor of being injured is having had this previous injury before. So if you've torn a hamstring previously, you're more likely to tear a hamstring again 
compared to somebody who hasn't. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that earlier. It's almost in some sports, some of the studies show that it's almost two to six times more likely to suffer a recurrent strain if you've already had one. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd well, I'd well believe it, and I've seen it. You know, and and which the, is shocking, but yeah, it's pretty. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like I've seen it too. It's 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 probably something. It's probably something that we'll pick up on later on during our chat about like you know the actual return to play and 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 the type of things. That, in order to get back on the field and, and, and where we may or may not kind of miss them. We're working with the athlete in terms of getting them back out on the field. Um, but certainly, like, the first thing I'm looking for is, is there a difference left to right? You know, it is something, does something look very weak or very tight or imbalanced compared to the other things that generally gets thrown up in a, in a preseason screen is that maybe, although these guys are, ridiculously conditioned and strong do muscles fire in the order that you would like them to you know so it does so when you go to explode out of a you know into a sprint do your glutes fire first and your hamstring fire after that or is it vice versa so you always got to ask the question is the hamstring the victim or is it the cause you know so that comes into the evaluation for someone walking in off the street and that goes into your preseason profiling with a professional athlete and you would hope that when you tell an athlete that these are the areas that we need to work on that they take that to heart and go away and kind of work on those areas that you know working on hamstring flexibility when you're healthy is just as important as working on running routes or getting faster or getting stronger you know right right now in in my former career as an athletic trainer a lot of what we focused on was not only the immediate care of athletic injuries, but one of the big focuses for athletic trainers is also on the preventative measures that go into preventing athletic injuries. As a physical therapist, you usually encounter more of the acute injuries where you're actually now treating, trying to recover, and the rehabilitation phase of, of injuries. I noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, and I'm sure it happens at both elite recreational levels, that a lot of people just probably don't train that muscle group adequately. So how do you, as part of your rehabilitation and or prevention, go, ab go about instructing? Or wh what specifically is lacking from what your experience in the training methods and the preparation for that muscle group when it comes to uh, these football players or any sport for that matter? Yeah, I mean, like, so we want to we want to look at the whole we want to look at the whole posterior chain. Okay, you want to look at glutes and hamstrings. So, and like I said, like, how are they how are they firing in comparison to what you would anticipate or what you would expect? So nine times out of ten, when when I'm when I'm looking at somebody, I'm paying as much attention to their glute muscles, all right, or your butt muscles, as I am to the actual hamstring itself in terms of their early rehabilitation. Because the hamstring, because it's torn or tweaked or strained, there's going to be a limitation to how much you want to load that tissue. All right. So we will always talk with the athlete about optimal loading. Can we load the tissue enough that it is recovering and building muscle and not re-injuring or you know tweaking the muscle that's already under pressure? So in that early phase of rehabilitation, I would focus a lot on glute strength. You know, can we get can we get the glutes fired up quite a lot that they start to take some of the load off the hamstring when we eventually get back out to 
when we get back out to the field and, and start trying to do sports-specific drills. But a lot of the early phase stuff is going to be low-grade strengthening. So can we gently strengthen the hamstring to a point where it starts to build muscle? Like I said earlier, we're not going to really focus too much on stretching the hamstring in that early phase because it's already been stretched to the point where it's been pulled or torn. So we typically were going to work on isometric hamstring strengthening and also looking at the whole chain and seeing what are the muscles of the hamstring when we do eventually get back onto the field. Most importantly, is going to be the glutes. And I will say there has there has historically been kind of two schools thought on a, on this. Some say strengthening is the most crucial aspect of the recovery and healing phase. Get them strengthening right away, even if it's just some simple isometric exercises where you're basically strengthening the muscle without taking it through a range of motion. And there's been another school of thought where it's prevent scar tissue from forming. And one way to do that is to maintain and uh, encourage strike stretching and flexibility. But I think a lot of the literature nowadays has really kind of shifted over toward the strengthening aspect of the healing part, uh, the hamstring um, to help healing. So, yeah, and I, like, I would say definitely like we can take you, the athlete can take a passive approach to preventing adhesions or scar tissue by the therapist physically working on the hamstring. So if, if you're, that's where like, you know, you definitely want to incorporate some type of manual therapy there, whether that is just, you know, deep or soft tissue massage or some type of um, modality or acupuncture or dry needling so that the athlete doesn't have to worry about that portion of it. You, you as a therapist are going to work, are going to work on that part so that the athlete can focus on a different area of what they can do and what they can do at home and, and, and in their, in their own time. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, obviously the professional athlete is kind of in a class all by themselves. They have a lot of resources and um, had a, a lot of tools at their disposal where they can do a lot of these things without really even have to think about it. But for the common person, the, the layman, the recreational or weekend warrior athlete, what is probably the most crucial thing in being able to train? Now, I know a lot of the literature says you really have to incorporate a lot of multiplanar um, exercises and then more sports specific types of return to activity types of exercises as well. But I, I don't know. How do you, how do you do that with somebody that you're only seeing maybe two or three times a week in the, in the outpatient office versus these guys that have access to the training room and therapy offices all the time? Yeah, we, <laughs> this is an ongoing battle. I mean, you, you've worked as, you've worked as an athletic trainer. Like this is, this is probably the number one bugbear of every type of therapist when it comes to training athletes is the, is the piece at home. Like, you know, they walk into your clinic and you say you haven't seen them, like you said, in a, in a week or two or three days, and you've given them a whole battery of exercises in order to help them. And you ask them when they walk to the door, have they done their exercises? And you get a kind of a, you know, a blank stare. And uh, that, that for everybody involved tends to be the most difficult portion of it because it's, it's, it's when do you find time to, you know, perform the, the silly TheraBand exercises that the, that the therapist has asked you to do. But I take, I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to this in, um, in clinic, I, I always try and find things that, that people resonate with on a daily basis. And, and my go-to for this, or, or my little hook, is to kind of talk to people about brushing their teeth. You know, and I say, look, you brush your teeth twice a day without ever even thinking about it. 
you know, and you do that so that they stay healthy. Well, you're coming to me looking for, looking to get your hamstring healthy, and this is the same idea. You have to treat it as a habitual thing. And that goes for, you know, the athlete that is coming into you that hasn't necessarily been injured but is worried about getting injured and trying to sell to them that, like, look, this type of strengthening and this type of a flexibility routine needs to be as routine as either playing your sport or, you know, going out for a run. And the same thing with an athlete, with an athlete that's injured, we we got to get them into the mindset of, you know, you wake up, you brush your teeth. You wake up, you focus on the thing that you're coming to see me for. Um, it's a very, it's a very tricky balance for people. Um, like you said, the professional athlete is totally different. They walk into a facility and somebody guides them through what they need to do. Um, I think, I think me and you have talked before about the, the areas that set really elite athletes away from others, like say LeBron James or Cristiano Ronaldo, um, is, is their approach to this off the field. You know, you look at these guys and, and the facilities that they've built in their own homes and it doesn't take you long to realize why they're so successful as athletes in the sport that they play. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're constantly in the gym. They're, they're constantly training. And, and not just at their sport. They're, a lot of times they're often cross-training, which I feel like is a lost art these days, especially amongst younger athletes who are more sport-specific in their um, endeavors. Whereas, you know, people our age, when they played sport back in the day, were more apt to play numerous sports throughout the course of a year. And, you know, there are times where I would never even pick up a baseball and throw it or even a basketball and shoot it for months at a time because I was busy playing one sport versus the other. That seems to be, I think, a big contributing factor to a lot of the younger athletes who suffer from these injuries. Um, but I, I think our listener would probably be questioning and surprised to hear that you say the challenges of the recreational athlete in maintaining their health and getting back on the field of play when they see these professional athletes who, especially in the NFL this year, there's been some pretty high-level, high-profile players that have had these hamstring injuries that have tried to come back and then gotten either re-injured in the same uh, injury or they suffered some other uh, significant injury. And, and you could probably make the case that it may be related to their hamstring injury. I, I know there's been a pretty good association with ankle sprains being associated with uh, hamstring injuries as well. But... What, what, I guess the question I'm asking is what type of criteria do you look at from a therapy perspective in getting these guys back on the field? Like at what point do you say, okay, we need to put you through this, some tests and get you back out there and see what, what happens? Because the literature says that some pe people can struggle with this for even up to a year. You can still be uh, significantly more likely to re-injure a hamstring from a previous injury. Yeah, so I mean, like, what what I'm going to look at is really, first of all, the the base level strength. So when I'm when I'm testing strength, we want to look at it in different positions, okay, and we want to look at it at different angles, and we want to look at it at different speeds. So before I'm ever going to get somebody running, we want to get them in several different positions to test hamstring strength to see if they're left compared to right. So it goes back to can we get it as strong as the uninjured leg? That's the very very first thing. So then they're going to be taken. And are there objective ways that you measure that? Do you put them on some type of strength testing equipment? Is it simply um, just observational? Or what type, like, are you using objective measures? Oh, well, I mean, 
so unfortunately in the clinic I'm in right now we don't have uh, we don't have the equipment but yeah there's absolutely there's absolutely machines out there that can test down to an exact percentage as to how well the uninjured leg is doing compared to the injured leg and you know in in, in these facilities that the, these NFL athletes have access to all of that so you're definitely going to want like I I mean me personally I would love like I'm looking to see can we get between five and eight percent of the uninjured leg in terms of just a, a raw strength test? Like how hard can the hamstring pull in a position compared to the uninjured leg? Like that's going to be a minimum kind of criteria before we're going to, even going to consider starting to get back into running drills, let alone cutting, twisting, turning, and explosive drills. But that's where that's where we're going to go to get them onto the field. Before that, like the, these guys are going to be and these guys are going to be going through a series of drills, mo- much more functional things like single leg squatting, you know, their lunging patterns, their plyometric stuff, um, you know, all of the bounding, jumping, and it's always going to come back to the athlete leveling with you and saying, you know, when you ask them how that feels, they got to be, they got to be on it. So I think, I think, I think this is, I think this is where the pressure in the NFL or in any professional environment to get back on the field starts to tell because I, I know you've worked at a, at a, at a very high level with sports teams and I've done the same. And, you know, there's often a, there's often a perception of the medical team as, you know, they're the guys that are going to stop me from getting back out on the field. Um, and it creating, developing that culture within, within a team environment with the medical team to say, no, we're the people who are helping you get back on the field, not the ones who are going to stop you from getting there, is crucial. Because if the athlete feels like, you know, the trainer or the physical therapist or the doctor is the one that's going to stop them from getting out there, when it comes to their testing, they, they, might, they might just say, you know what, I feel a little tweaked, but I'm not going to tell anybody. And I think some of the time what we see on the field is that the NFL athlete is so explosive. They're so strong. They're so... Um, they're in such pristine condition that to the naked eye, when you ask them to go and do an explosive drill, it's very, very difficult to tell whether they're going 98% or 100%. But, you know, the, 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 going back out on the field, that's the proven ground. So when a ball goes up in the air, they're going to go get it. And typically that's when you're seeing those explosive, short, sharp episodes is when that re-injury occurs. And like you talked about, as soon as you go and re-injure something that's already been injured, that's when we're going to start to run into really long-term numbers in terms of somebody being laid up with an injury. Yeah, I think it's really hard to evaluate these high-level athletes because they're, like you said, they're so explosive, they're so fast. And, you know, just by observational means, you need some type of objective measures with them. And I'm sure that a lot of these teams, you know, take the time in a normal preseason to probably gather some of those objective measures range of motion, stretching, strength, you know, training. Um, They probably even time them in their own drills to see where they're at as far as speed goes. And this year, obviously, with the non-existent preseason, they probably just didn't have time to do that. That might be one of the big reasons why there's so many hamstring injuries this year. And I'm wondering, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but there's been a lot of ACLs from what I've been reading to this year. And I don't know the numbers. It may not be statistically relevant, but just from an observational standpoint, it seems like there's been quite a few ACLs. Do you think there's a strong correlation there if you were to look deep into it? Well, so when 
my background when I was working in Ireland was that I, I did a lot of these athlete profiling um, events with sports teams where we brought them in. We'd done a full battery of tests and gave them some stuff to work on and brought them back weeks or months later to see where the benefit and the difference was going to be. What we always talked to them about was reduction of preventable injuries because, you know, sport at the end of the day is going to be sport. So if you, if you look at somebody taking a hit and they get injured through trauma, very, very little you're going to do about that. Sometimes that's just the way the game goes. But when you look at somebody that's either running and, you know, non-contact injuries like some of the ACLs have been and certainly the hamstrings, you have to look at what the preparation has been like. And, you know, we all know that this year has been way less than ideal in terms of the preparation preseason. And I think a lot of that comes down to, again, it comes back to the athlete and, and the culture within the team. It, it won't have been the medical team's lack of effort in terms of trying to get people screened and, and profiled preseason to get an idea as to how players were doing. But in, when, when you don't have that level of accountability of someone being in a facility every day, multiple times a day in the, in the weight room or in the exercise room, then you start to lose track of who's doing what. And I definitely think that we're seeing that in the NFL this year is that, you know, were people slightly tuned out? Did they, did they look at some of maybe the flexibility stuff that they did when they were in the facility and think, you know what, I never used to like doing that, so maybe I'll just skip today. Or who knows? Like, I mean, it, it, there's a number of things, but when you look at the year that's in it, you have to point to that as one potential area that teams are starting to struggle with now. Yeah, it's always been, um, I think that, you know, <laughs> the hamstring muscle group, just in general, especially amongst bodybuilders, athletes, has always been kind of like, the, the the little stepsister, you know, the little Cinderella stepsister who kind of is in the back corner of the room, you know, not really getting paid much attention to because, you know, everyone's like, ooh, look how much, you know, he can squat and look how much, look at those quads. But, you know, the hamstrings are probably as important, if not more, um, when it comes to being able to perform at a high level without getting hurt. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot of uh, fantasy football updates on the podcast here. And I'm always very hesitant to recommend picking up a player who I know has been out with a hamstring injury, regardless of what they've been um, reported on doing in practice, because like, like everything we just talked about, you never really know until you get out there sometimes, you know, you, no matter what they're doing in practice, sometimes it just isn't enough to kind of get a good objective measure. So I'm always a little hesitant to throw those guys into the starting lineups on my teams and I'm always hesitant to recommend that people, you know, throw them in there to their starting lineups or pick them off a free agency wire when I hear that they've been out for a hamstring. <laughs> it's just Yeah, I mean it's it's like it's no it's no coincidence that people talk about being game ready or match sharp, you know, like I mean there is you can like you can practice all you like, but I mean ultimately what people live for is game day. You know, and like game day is when game day is when you test yourself. You know, you, you, it's always going to be a case that you can you can have a guy back in the facility, you can have him back out in the training field, but until he goes out there and he starts to produce on the day, 
in real life scenarios, you don't know. So yeah, I mean, when I'm when I'm listening to your fantasy updates on the podcast, I'm definitely looking out for the guys who have their practice that week. You you, you always mention on your podcast like, well, you got to start looking at who was practicing and how limited were they in practice because when it comes to a soft tissue injury like a hamstring, that's gonna be what you're gonna look for because if they're not going full if they're, if they're not going full blast in training or in in practice. The high, there's a high likelihood that they're either going to be limited in the terms of how much they're going to participate in the game or they're probably not going to participate at all. And the way it is is that the athletic training team and the medical staff have to look out for the overall long-term health of the, of the team. So your likelihood is that if, this, if you're struggling in practice during the week, you're probably not going to be going at 100% at the weekend because if you get re-injured, which we're seeing over and over this year, then you're looking at double, triple the time frame that you were looking at to begin with in terms of trying to come back from the same injury. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think probably the best example of that this season has been Julio Jones. He was out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring strain. He practiced. He was cleared to play. He came back, and he had a pretty uneventful game didn't really even have a f- maybe but one or two receptions. Didn't really do much on the stat sheet. Wasn't really a factor at all. Had another week to kind of prepare and get ready, and then torched the next team a couple weeks ago. And um, I made the smart choice of not starting him that first game back, but starting him the second game back. And I reaped the rewards on my fantasy team for it. So I feel good about that. And I feel good about it after having spoken to you and getting all this information too. So um, I-, I will also tell you that uh, for some people unless you've had this injury you probably downplay it a lot and you probably don't realize just how significant significant it actually is and i can tell you back in 2001 um when i was doing an internship with the professional soccer team up in rochester new york a b-league soccer team called the rochester rhinos one of the um after one of the games we were cleaning up some of the stuff on the field and a bunch of us were like oh, let's have a, a sprint back to the to the locker room and see who wins. And um, we all took off, you know, trying to show our manhood and see who was the fastest. And one of the older gentlemen in, to the, my, in front of me to my left who was actually beating me at the time, he went down like a ton of bricks. And I can remember seeing it happen in the corner of my eye thinking, man, I think he just pulled a hammy. And within a split second after thinking that, I felt a pop in my back of my left thigh and down I went too. It was like almost like a sniper was in the stands. And now, and this, at the time, I mean, I had full access to the trainer room and I had, was doing therapy. It took me months to get better months. Like, so I can only imagine what these poor professional athletes are going through to try and get back on the field within a few weeks. Um, it is no joke. And, uh, hopefully after listening to your segment here, um, I think maybe a lot of our fans and those fantasy people will, will take it a little more seriously and listen up when they hear it on the injury reports and maybe not, uh, be so quick to to rush to to judge or rush to get them back in their starting lineups because these injuries they always plague you for a long time afterwards and sometimes it takes months and months and months before you're actually right again. Oh, absolutely, and and I mean you, you mentioned you mentioned Julio Jones. Obviously, you've got to look at how explosive do these players need to be as well because. When you when you if you're looking at a wideout who that's that's what his game is it's you know short sharp movements or or a back then you have to take into consideration that 
every time he goes to he goes to run a route, that hamstring is going to be one of the things that's going to be that's going to be firing the most when he wants to get away from a defender. So yeah, it's not like it's not like you're starting somebody in a position where they don't need absolutely all of their explosive power and and explosive sharpness to play the get to play the position. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the receiver position. Oh yeah, I think for and the receiver position probably more than any on the football field might be. I, and I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm sure if you go back over the course of the season and you look at all the injuries lost or game time lost to hamstrings, it's probably a bulk of that is receivers and probably cornerbacks because those guys are constantly having to change direction, use that deceleration the hamstring is so important for to kind of help decelerate that eccentric contraction to change and direction and change speeds as you're doing it. Whereas, you know, a running back basically gets the ball and just goes full speed straight ahead. Um, you know, I think those guys are running routes every play, and that's basically what they're asked to do. Um, but yeah, so you know, like you said, uh, his position demands that those hamstrings are in tip-top shape; otherwise, they're going to suffer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give a big thank you to Derek Kelly for joining us this evening on the podcast. It's been a very informational session. And um, don't forget to take a listen each week as we do, at the very least, a weekly injury update. And uh, every once in a while, we'll have our special guest on like this and uh, give some other great informational topics to talk about. So, Derek, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that informational session and a special thanks once again to Derek Kelly, physical therapist here in Charlotte, North Carolina, for his great information and feedback in regards to hamstring injuries. So don't forget people, when you're making that decision last minute to figure out who's going to be in your fantasy lineup, when you're dealing with hamstring injuries, it's really important to focus on what they've been doing in the week leading up to the game and how intense and how far they've gotten in practice. My advice, give them a week to bounce back. Give them one game day under their belt before you throw them back into the starting lineup. As we've come to learn, hamstring injuries are a nagging thing, and re-injury is very likely given the fact that there is a very high risk for re-injury once you've sustained one injury to that hamstring. And when you're dealing with these professional-level athletes, when they're trying to get back on the field within a few weeks' time, Sometimes it's just too soon. So once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll have another episode coming at you in two weeks. And as always, weekly, I'll be a guest on the Devils Advocate Sports Talk show live on Facebook with my good friend, Abe Delgado. So don't forget to tune into that. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay active.
You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com.